0: Welcome to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast, where we discuss the world of IT and cybersecurity. Don't be left in the dark about what is going on in the world around you. Here is your host, Joe Gray. Welcome to another episode of the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gray. With me this evening is Cat Sweet. Cat has worked in numerous positions with uh, her state of residence. Uh, she currently works as an information security analyst. You may know her from being uh, the, uh, on the staff of Circle CityCon, being the uh, chairperson of the CFP. She also volunteers with uh, Tiara Con. Uh, she has her amateur radio license. Uh, a master's degree, and in addition to that, she volunteers for uh, various types of programs dealing with uh, radios, um, including amateur radio emergency services and uh, Wolfpack Techies. How's it going, Cat?
1: Good. Um, one slight correction: I don't have a master's degree.
0: <laughs> oh darn! Uh,
1: it's okay. Maybe someday a bachelor, a bachelor's degree not in a tech field, and currently going back to school um, at my local community college for an associate's degree in network security.
0: I misread your technical college as Master of Arts.
1: <laughs> it's okay.
0: So I'm gonna have to go to LensCrafters. I gonna be a Master get... of
1: Arts anyway.
0: Hey, absolutely. Uh, cool. So um, all local lens crafters be on the lookout. I will be coming in shortly to get my eyes checked, obviously. Uh, so with that being said, um, the thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast uh, do not necessarily reflect those of mine nor Cat's employers past, present, and future. Now that that's out of the way, um, fill in any blanks that I uh, left out, uh, especially with your honorary uh, master's degree bestowed upon you uh, from the Advanced Persistent Security University. And um, tell us a little bit more about this Wolfpack Techies thing.
1: Oh, um, so it's an organization at school um, where IT students can do volunteer tech support for students, faculty, and staff free of charge for the computers that, for their own personal machines, ones that wouldn't be under the jurisdiction of the school's IT team. And so it's sort of, for me, it helped bypass the sort of catch-22 of how do you get experience without a job? How do you get a job without experience? Um You're just sort of thrown into this um, environment of not knowing exactly what you're going to get. We did a lot of data recovery, um, some hard drives that were having the click of death. Sometimes uh, there will be broken screens or just a buttload of malware because people click on stuff that they shouldn't.
0: More on that later.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I got into that my my first semester back in school, and it was... It was a lot
0: of fun. That's honestly a really awesome program. And and as you know, I teach part time. So I'm going to have to go and uh, talk to the schools that I have affiliations with about this and say, hey, you know, this is a program that uh, is worth getting behind because you can have it as a prerequisite of X, Y and Z to do this. It helps the students. It saves the students money and it gets, you know, valuable experience beyond that of, you know oh, well, this class maps to Network Plus or CCNA or Security Plus. So,
1: yeah, it really does more than just teach the tools. You don't know exactly what tools you're going to need to use. So it gets you in that problem-solving mindset. And I think it's a good service to provide for students, a lot of whom at a community college might be low income and couldn't afford expensive computer repair somewhere else.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I I cannot agree more. So uh, with that being said, uh, I might have to pick your brain about that later. So let's right. let's go on and uh, kind of dive into the news. So as opposed to last episode where we just found a, a blog post and ranted on about it for a while, we're gonna we're gonna hit the time machine. So uh, at this point, this is a time when you need to imagine the sound of Doctor Who's TARDIS traversing through uh, space and various. <laughs> uh, uh, universes uh to wherever Uh, you may even imagine the sound of a sonic screwdriver or daleks so with that being said in the news yahoo is breached what are your thoughts
1: surprise (sighs) not um i mean I think your time machine thing was pretty accurate. It seems like they've been problem children repeatedly.
0: Absolutely. And I really wish that that they would kind of get past this. Um, I've already deactivated my Yahoo account, but that's not to say that my credentials aren't out there. That's not to say that that account doesn't tie up to other accounts that have that same credential that I just don't remember. And Yahoo, they've already become a laughing stock. And the other side of this is, it's. A, I, I really feel that it's about to start interfering with their acquisition with Verizon. As if it weren't already, it's just getting yeah. worse.
1: Didn't the guy who used to do commercials for Verizon? I think he's he switched to do commercials. The can you hear me now guy? He's doing commercials for their competitor now.
0: And and uh, he actually uh, makes a lot of good jokes about uh, people being able to hear him now or or uh what have you so uh taking a quick scan at you know business insider uh the scope of this is more than 1 billion user accounts so i'm going to say this is probably if not the entire database uh the vast majority of their database
1: and the largest breach in history right that we know of uh
0: to my knowledge yes that seems to be correct um so uh, thank you, Business Insider, for making me disable my ad blocker. I'll add you to my list uh, with Forbes. Uh, but anyway, uh, within the scope of this, it says that uh, more than a billion user accounts, including phone numbers, birth dates, and security questions, may have been stolen uh, in something that happened in August 2013. Uh, this is a separate incident from the one that they disclosed in september so as if the one of 500 million user accounts being compromised wasn't enough here here's one twice the size so i i almost wonder is yahoo trying to play one-upsmanship with the mariah botnet about setting records you know is this going to prompt people running the mariah botnet to do a two terabit denial of service oh god (laughs) yeah that's pretty scary to think about but, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: can you think of anything um obviously there's a cultural issue. This this came out uh during the yeah. last thing. If you were in charge and you had unlimited power and capability, how would you fix the problem?
1: Oh. <laughs> I don't there's it seems there's never a quick fix because it's like you said, a bigger cultural issue of Lack of awareness, or lack of awareness of seriousness of of the problems that come with imperfect security. I mean, there's no such thing as perfect security. Um, I, I.
0: Sorry to put you on the spotlight. Like I don't
1: this. know. It, it, no, <laughs> it's a, it's always a tough one. I mean, I don't know if we'll reach a point where this was a huge breach. I don't know if we'll eventually reach a point where these are happening so frequently and the consequences get worse that a cultural shift will start to occur. I mean, sometimes sometimes it takes an event on the level of crisis to bring about massive cultural change. Um, I'm thinking of like, so earlier this year I saw a presentation um, at a sci-fi con, but about Infosec, um, about teaching kids about security and digital privacy. Um, advocating doing it in the way the same way that sex education is most effective, so like comprehensive harm reduction method rather than just shaming people for their bad decisions, abstinence only method. Um and that that sort of got me thinking of I don't know, like I'm going off on a tangent here. I apologize. No, no,
0: absolutely. Uh, you know, just a... <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm like, uh, like the term safe sex wasn't popular until the mid '80s as a response to the AIDS epidemic. So it took something of th- that finally was scary enough for people to start paying attention. And now there's a lot more awareness of that. So hopefully, eventually, people will realize I don't know the importance of safe infosex. sex. Um, that
0: that's kind of. Hilarious. And I think in the
1: meantime, giving them, <laughs> yeah, safe InfoSex. In the meantime. Trying to get, I don't know, just trying to give people the tools in a way that's not, not blaming them for when things go wrong, especially things that maybe to a certain degree are in their control, like not reusing passwords, but to some extent are out of their control and have to do with absolutely uh, something not being built securely.
0: And, and for the most part, you kind of channel my own thoughts with this. Um You know, to to answer the question about Yahoo, I think at this point, based on how bad they've been embarrassed and the damage that they're doing, uh, granted that these things happened in excess of three years ago, uh, it may be better just to take everything offline for a little while and get the security right and come back and kind of use that as a marketing tool. I really hate that thought, the notion of take this offline, fix it, and then make it a marketing tool but that might be the solution uh because the culture of yahoo uh i I do know that they called at least some of their information security professionals paranoids and they did it i i it was a joke it was their job title though so you know that kind of puts a certain that sets a certain tone to begin with but with that being said when you factor in, you know, they're already doing it wrong. Uh, they allowed some government surveillance and stuff like that, which completely different argument for a completely different day. But, you know, they they really need to get their stuff together. Uh, but with, you know, talking about your, the awareness principles and and the catastrophe, you know, I, I've said it before that if you want to make someone understand something, you have to, you know, you have to, it has to be something catastrophic to them. You know, let them get fish and someone clean out their bank account a week and a half before Christmas. People remember when they get hurt, uh, both literally and figuratively. And with an awareness program, I'm not a huge fan of the whole uh, punitive uh, notion. There comes a time when punitive measures are required, most certainly. Uh, If you have a user do something in malice or a user that just refuses to adhere to what you're training them on, yes. Go punitive, but just because a user clicks
1: levels of escalation to be had. Oh, absolutely!
0: Just because a user clicks the fish doesn't mean that they should get suspended or fired or whatever. You know, I I'm perfectly fine with my users clicking a fish, assuming that they know how to contact me. They know exactly what I want them to do with their machine. Uh, At this point, I wouldn't want them to do anything. Just step away from it and contact me. Call me. I'll come right over, because. From an incident response perspective the devil you know is a lot better than the devil you don't know and if mm-hmm. if i'm having to try to figure out where this infection happened after it's already propagated and we're under uh, ransomware attack and we're about to have to revert to backups that's not the time uh when it's you know 45 seconds ago uh and i can isolate that computer from the network and create a few firewall and ids rules absolutely mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, as soon as you've identified the issue, you can act accordingly.
0: Absolutely. And
1: from a user's perspective, what they're thinking is they're scared and they
0: don't know what to absolutely. do. Absolutely. And that that's one of those huge cultural things that whenever I conduct training, I try to impart upon senior management. Because my philosophy with training, especially like when you're doing client training on site, you should do it for your general people. I don't like to use the term users very often. Uh, your privileged users, mm-hmm. which is contradictory to what I just said. Um, and then your uh, senior management and executives, because each each group they they all face different challenges uh, from the information security perspective. We don't need the general uh, layperson to know how to thwart a denial of service, and they don't need to know that a denial of service affects availability. They just need to know kind of what one is. If even they need to know more about yeah. passwords and the human element, and. That's something that frequently gets passed over because of the whole paradigm of, if you train your users, then you're putting the burden on your users. No, you put the burden on your users whenever you have a poor organizational culture. So, Mm -hmm. And then with senior management, that's when you can explain to them, hey, it's not if, it's when. And you can provide some sort of anecdote. I've got a few really good ones that I have in my back pocket that I can use to neutralize management whenever they they believe that they should automatically just, you know, punish everyone. And then I I provide a story of of a senior executive that basically got pwned because uh, someone was running some pretty advanced uh, recon on him and his family. And they found the perfect opportunity. And I would like to see anybody say that they would not respond to that. And, you know at that point, management kind of understands okay, I need to back away a little bit. I don't need to be as uh, hardcore about this. And then you can start to cultivate that relationship and uh, culture of of understanding and you know gamify things. I, I've said this numerous times and I just listened to the uh, Human Factor podcast, uh, Jenny Radcliffe's podcast. I just listened to uh, her episode uh, just this evening that uh, had uh, Tim Gallo and uh, Alan on it, and you know, in that in that same sense, um, you know, it's uh, Alan Liska, by the way, I, I couldn't think of his last name, um, but you know, they talked about the same thing, gamify it. But the one thing I have to caution you about with gamifying things is don't become Wells Fargo either. And and to steal from their idea, they like the idea of challenge coins. I like the idea of giving employees like 10 minutes off, but they have to have six increments to be able to take any of it off. So unless they have an hour, they can't use it. That's, that's kind of my philosophy. But, you know, anyway, uh, do you have anything else to say about uh, Yahoo? No. Okay, well, continuing across hyperspace uh, in our time machine, um, Linda was uh breached. Linda being purchased by LinkedIn. Uh according to reports, uh they've uh, prompted 55,000 users to reset their passwords and have warned 9.5 million, not billion, so it's still not bigger than Yahoo users and uh, a LinkedIn representative has said that the passwords were stored uh, cryptographically uh, salted and hashed, and the algorithm uh, was pretty strong. We took a look at it, but it's not worth going down that rabbit hole. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, it, especially in contrast to Yahoo?
1: I'm glad for now it's much smaller. I think they – I'm glad they were proactive in contacting every user, even though the number that was breached was pretty small, at least so far. Um, my the, One of the first things I asked when I heard about it um, – because Linda is, um, does like continuing education videos. And um, when I worked for a university, all the staff had access to uh, Linda accounts um, tied in with our university emails. And so um, one question I had was whether any of those were among the breached ones. And um, because that's an automatic tie to all of these other, to all of your university resources, in addition to just your profile on Linda
0: absolutely but I don't you
1: know.
0: and and the thing about this one that's kind of concerning is the fact that with Linda you know there's some technical training involved so as opposed to going after Yahoo accounts I, I would say that Linda accounts not Linda is one of those places that I would say not all accounts are created equal when when you compare 55,000 Linda accounts to 55,000 Yahoo accounts the probability of those Linda accounts being privileged users is a lot higher.
1: Hmm, that's a good point. So because, yeah, they're almost all tech themed. Absolutely. But do you think then, then they might be more likely to use better password practices? Well, I guess it depends.
0: I would like to say yes, but my gut is saying no, <laughs> and it's not just <laughs> yeah. Uh, as soon as I said that. It's not just the uh, steak and balsamic vinaigrette salad I had earlier saying no. Based on my (laughs) own experience, I'm I'm just going to say that I wish the answer were yes, but history has shown us time and time again that the answer is probably no. Um, (laughs) But, you know, kudos for being proactive. Uh, You know, uh, like you said before we started recording, I would be curious to know how much of this actually has to do with the LinkedIn data breach uh, since LinkedIn has acquired them. But I think the LinkedIn data breach predates the acquisition. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I need to look when they were acquired.
0: But. Yeah. Well, either way, um, you know, it, it was mm-hmm. just good to get in the time machine and be able to, you know, tear the the scabs off of old wounds and, you know, just uh, get some fresh air about them, maybe pour a little bit of salt into them or, you know, maybe a little bit of aloe vera uh, for healing properties uh, uh, nonetheless. But uh, for our final news story, before we shift into the actual meat and potatoes of the podcast, uh, apparently in excess of uh, 750,000 people are warned as L.A. County workers uh, fall for a fishing attack what are your thoughts
1: i had i'm looking at this and said they said that they successfully got 108 of them which is a lot um, i mean in the scheme in the grand scheme of things i mean they were sent over 700,000 but you can do a lot with 100 <laughs> especially since they're public employees and it looks like they had access to quite a lot of things, including social security numbers and
0: PII in general
1: numbers, a lot of PII.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: whoa. And they were specifically going, it wasn't like just a generic fish to everyone specifically going after these public county employees. So possibly trying to get somewhere else.
0: And, and it, uh, apparently there is, uh, some level of, uh, fear for the possibility of uh, ransom because they now have a warrant out for the arrest of uh, a Nigerian national. Uh, doesn't say whether he's a prince or not. I'm going to assume he probably is not. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's not the first. But you know, when when you think about uh, an area the size of Los Angeles County, you know, just a city the size of Los Angeles, uh, and how many workers they have that's absolutely huge but 108 people Mm -hmm. falling for fishing that that indicates to me that they really need to take the human the people element a little bit more seriously and invest in some sort of uh, training uh, and or awareness so that you know the the employees are better equipped Um, I would like to I would be curious to know about the culture And you know there are some measures that you can have, like for example, they're not a sponsor of the show or anything, but I've seen this in the past, Proofpoint. Uh, It's a tool that you basically route all your mail through it, and if it's external, there's a big notification on it saying this is external. So that should alert users, hey, don't click on this, don't do this, don't open this file, don't forward this, whatever. Uh, I I would be curious as to what technical solutions they have in play.
1: Yeah, and if they've ever run a fish, I mean, there's tons of good fishing test tools out there.
0: Oh, absolutely! My and... parent company would be happy to train them, and you know, <laughs> even even do the, uh, the the social engineering pretexting, uh, vishing, pen test, whatever whatever they'd like. Um, but even if they didn't go that route, there are other companies out there that specialize in uh, the training for awareness, as well as running the phishing attacks.
1: Yeah. And I don't know what they're, what kind of budget they're working with, but in my experience, um, public institutions, state and county and city agencies are often working with a lot less than private sector would and move slow as molasses when it comes to technology and Absolutely. staying up to date. And so that's a challenge for them. And I, I, I think when you're dealing with public organizations like this, I think a lot of employees maybe don't realize the implications of what could happen. I mean, if services are stopped, we're talking things like public health services or garbage pickup or like things that could have a pretty huge effect on LA's the second largest city in the
0: country. Absolutely. And, and for that reason, I would kind of think that they... Uh, that they actually have a little bit more budget than say podunk, Tennessee uh, You know when, when you when you factor things in that way, so But the thing about it is training doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't um, It's just having someone come in and say hey Here are some things you can do or Putting up printing off uh, a sheet of paper and putting by the water fountain or the microwave That's one way to raise awareness uh, a program that I used in a uh, in a past life I did that very thing I, I would establish an idea and what we would do is we would have the same idea for the entire month the first week I would send a fun, uh, a foundational email out to say hey we're talking about passwords here's what passwords are I would try to keep it to two paragraphs or less then the next week I would send out another supplemental paragraph and then another and then another and then the next month I've changed topics but uh, with management's consent and uh, if they wanted to I would actually conduct some testing some sort of phishing uh, or uh, password attacks on users uh, based upon whatever direction management wanted to go and once that program stepped into place people immediately started you know walking up saying you know I had to change my password today and I really hate you but (laughs) <laughs> I didn't think about how easy it was to crack a password. I, my new password is 17 characters, and I use all four typefaces. Woohoo! And it's like thank you. And ironically, that's the same group of people that Thursday mornings would stand outside my office and wait to talk about Mr. Robot. So uh, they were already the the aware. But. Um, Can you think of any other ways to uh, kind of lessen the blow of this at all?
1: That's fantastic. That's, I think, a great idea. It's nice to hear success stories like that. We focus on the failures too much.
0: We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to get into some information about what you should know about submitting to Calls for Papers. Stay tuned.
1: Are you looking for a place to advertise to the unique audience of IT security professionals and enthusiasts? Look no further. Advanced Persistent Security is seeking sponsors. This slot could be yours. Contact sales at advancedpersistentsecurity.net for more information.
0: And we're back. Thank you for sticking around through that break. Uh, again, with us this evening is Kat Sweet. Uh, she is the chair of the CFP uh, for Circle City Con. Uh, She's worked as a reviewer on uh, Circle City and some other conferences. Uh, With that being said, she's here this evening to give us advice on how to properly submit a CFP uh, with the intention of actually getting accepted, not with the intention of submitting two talks to complain because only one of them got picked up on Twitter. (laughs) Not that that happens with anyone.
1: Never, never, ever. (laughs) Um, co-chair of Circle City Con, I should give credit to my my other co-chair, Sarah Clark, Distanica. Um, We're working on it together, and I'm super excited to have her on board as well. A little while back on Twitter, I I, I asked just a general question out to the universe, those who considered speaking at an InfoSecCon but never submitted, what are the main factors that stop you? And a lot of the answers boiled down to well, for one, like self-doubt and imposter syndrome. I don't know what to talk about. I'm not good enough. I don't have the cred. Um, but then also just, I don't know how to do it. I've, I've never done it before and I don't know what to do. I want to make, uh, I want to make CFP's welcoming for more people. I mean, talks and conferences would get boring if just the same people spoke over and over again. So, um, I, I, I don't want anyone to, exclude themselves from the process, that's the reviewer's job. <laughs> not, that's not for you to decide. So anything that I can do to demystify the process, I want to try to do.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, to kind of take what you just said and run with it for a moment, uh, I, I had a supervisor way back in the day, and he told me, don't you worry whether you're qualified for this job or not. If you think you are, you submit you submit uh, for this job. And if you get the job, excellent. If you don't, so be it. Let the reviewer make the decision.
1: Yeah. And it is kind of like applying for a job um, on the review side too, because you you really, reviewers don't aren't going to spend hours and hours on each talk. So you really have to make yours pop. And just like you've got something to offer somewhere for some employer, even if, you're not what they're looking for, you, you, you're you, gonna get hired somewhere. And just like that, your talk topic, you might not be submitting to the right venue or they might not have space for you, but the right venue exists out there. And so, um, I don't know, you gotta build some perseverance. Rejection is just a fact of life.
0: Absolutely. And you know, there's actually an entire conference built around that now. Rejected con. Absolutely. Yeah. How would you recommend someone get an idea together to even start working on the submission. I'm not even talking quite to the point of an abstract or even an outline yet.
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of people get stuck on that step. Just what do I talk about? A good way to start? Well, I mean, first of all, think of what you can talk about for hours. Because between working on the uh, working on the outline and abstract and crafting this talk and then rehearsing it, and giving it and answering follow-up questions from the audience for months on end afterwards, you are going to be talking about it for hours, so you better be interested in it um, and knowledgeable. Although you can use the talk as a driving force to do more research. Some cons, and I love about what I love about some cons is they'll take not just topics that are you know the latest greatest exploit, but things that are sort of security adjacent or more general or social commentary, um, other tech-related talks. And so something that you love doesn't necessarily have to be something that's cutting-edge research, because that's some cons, but not necessarily every con. I think another good place to go for talk fodder is look at what is being said. Look at schedules from past conferences, especially the conferences that you want to maybe submit to, and see what's being talked about. Watch them past talks on similar topics that you're interested in. See what's being said and then what's not being said, and what perspective you could bring to the table.
0: Absolutely. And just to interject here for a moment, I forget who said it, but someone said that realistically, there's only about three talks out there. That's it. And every talk that you will ever see is nothing but someone else's iteration of one of those three talks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like how there are only like ten stories. And in the you know world.
0: that sounds so. To- Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's so absolutely simplified to the point to where it's almost insulting, but it's kind of true. And speaking of ten stories in the world, that reminds me of uh, something I saw online the other day. Uh, There was uh, someone complaining uh, that they said that they liked Lord of the Rings, but not very much because they had ripped off Harry Potter too much, and uh, they had referred to Sauron as the Dark Lord, and there was too much uh, cross comparison between Dobby and Gollum <laughs> and um, Dumbledore and Gandalf, and, and Harry and Frodo looked too much alike, or something. I don't remember the fine dynamics of it because I'm not really huge into either ecosystem, but I, I did laugh pretty hard when I heard that.
1: Just amused because Lord of the Rings is so much older than Harry Potter. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. It reminds me of the teenager who wrote a letter to Nirvana at Sub Pop Records to ask them to play at their prom like three years ago.
1: Oh.
0: oh. Either way, you know, um, from my own experience, I I tend to agree with you because understanding your pace, understanding the topic, uh, both of those things are very important. And you have to understand your own pace. With me specifically, I get off track a lot. Obviously, you, the listener, already know this because you listen to the show. You know the rabbit holes I go down. With that being said, you've kind of got to train yourself against it whenever you're talking in front of people for a conference because you can't just run into overflow time because when you do that, not only is it offsetting the schedule, but it's disrespectful to the people speaking after you. So mm-hmm. being clear and concise is very important. Um, and being prepared.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Hints, uh, hints. Me buying a uh, HDMI to um, VGA dongle today.
1: Oh yeah, it's good. Always have good. Always have the right dongles for your machine because you never know if the conference will. Absolutely. So yeah, so that's the idea part of the life cycle. So now you've actually got to write your submission.
0: Right, and where should they start?
1: Uh, just guessing by the submissions that i've seen i'm guessing a lot of people start with the abstract and then write their outline but i think it should really be the other way around because what an abstract is in academic papers it's a summary of all of your content so if you don't know what your content is yet then how are you going to sum it up in a way that actually gives the audience a summary of how your talk is going to flow i mean if you're getting if you're getting ideas for the abstract of course write them down but i think it's going to be more true to how your talk is going to flow if you do some of the hard work of doing the outline first. Um, And by outline, I mean, because some people are confused about what that is. I mean, like bullet points that break down specifically what you're going to talk about, how each section, what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. And sometimes how much time you're going to spend on each part. Um, I think even if it How verbose?
0: How verbose should this outline be?
1: More verbose than most people make it, honestly, from what I've seen. Um, You can always add more detail, but if you go with too little detail, reviewers might not get a sense of what your talk is going to be about, and then they can't judge you as accurately. They're not mind readers. I did a count of some of my past outlines just for my own curiosity, and a lot of them were like 50 or 60 lines long. I think more important than how many lines long is make sure that You're verbing all the nouns. Like, don't just write a list of single words or phrases. Like, what do you do with them? Like, I don't know, like, IDS, firewall. Okay, what about an IDS? What about a firewall? How is this relevant to, I don't know, maybe it's a security engineering talk or something. It's okay to reveal some of that detail to the reviewers. That's how they're going to be able to make a good judgment call. So, yeah, I, I think more so the thing that I've seen kill a lot of talk submissions is complete lack of detail of an outline that's five or 10 lines long and doesn't really say much.
0: Awesome. When when you're talking about abstract before the outline, whenever I was writing my most recent submissions, I I did do the outline Mm -hmm. first, then I did the abstract, and then I actually went back and uh, wrote more on the outline in terms of providing I tried to provide at least one if not two sentences per bullet point Uh, and and then obviously there's some that are just so obvious that you really don't need to put anything uh would you tend to agree with that yeah
1: I mean especially like headings of sections don't really need more than one or two words the other thing is play it safe and don't put any identifying information in the abstract or outline because a lot of cons do do blind reviews and not all of them will say so explicitly. Your bio should be where your personal information is and nowhere else. I've seen a, yeah, I've seen a lot of, um, some c- talks will get, if not disqualified, get demerits that way for not following directions because some cons will have specific ways of, doing, of needing abstracts or outlines, but above all, the number one rules follow their directions.
0: Right. What audience should they gear this toward you know sometimes in in, in the professional environment you write things to the technical audience sometimes you write it to the business audience Mm -hmm. Uh, and then obviously if you're writing to the technical audience you don't need to spell out what an IDS or an IDPS is Uh, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you do is there really a fine line uh, there between uh, being descriptive and patronizing in terms of spelling out your acronyms
1: I don't think you need to spell out intrusion detection system if you're submitting a talk to a security conference. A lot of review boards will have people from different different subdisciplines of security and so I think there's there's some general knowledge that can be assumed. So in the outline I don't think you necessarily need to break it so far down. You can assume a basic security knowledge. And if they don't, if, if it's something deeply complex that maybe is more specialized knowledge, then yes, but you can't necessarily expect that everyone reviewing your talk is going to be like a super elite red teamer who understands the ins and outs of cryptographic algorithms. Absolutely. Right down to all of the math that I don't understand. But I think, yeah, there's a basic security language and you don't need to necessarily spell out what a firewall is
0: so, but,
1: or what a patent test so is. So
0: as a thumb rule, if it's something contained within Security Plus, you should be safe to not give that acronym.
1: <laughs> sure. It seems like a good baseline. Um, it, it, now, if it's not an InfoSec con that you're submitting it to, I mean, play to your audience. If you're submitting a security talk to a dev conference, you might need to break it down a little, uh, little further. Or if you're submitting a security talk to like a business development conference or something like that. I mean, tailor it toward your audience just like you would tailor a resume toward an employer.
0: Perfect. So in, in that regard, would, would you say that, so when, when you're putting these talks together, should you have your slides done when you are putting to, putting your, outline together? Or should you do them in parallel? What, what are your thoughts there?
1: Unless the conference is going to ask for your slides really soon after you get accepted, I don't see necessarily a reason to have slides done. Some people might choose to, but I will say have the outline done even if the conference doesn't ask for it because you did the hard work early on and that'll save you. I think the slides is often the shortest part of the prep time because you're taking your outline and you're just turning it visual and sometimes dumping the outline verbatim into your presenter notes. If you're doing it right, you're going to spend more time rehearsing it than making the slides. And you might tweak them, but...
0: Right, which which was one of the points that I was going to actually start to hammer on, which is the fact of you've got your abstract done, you've got everything submitted. Is your talk set in stone at this point? Should it be?
1: Absolutely not. No especially if it's something dealing with a current event and security changes so quickly. Um, It's got to be dynamic. I constantly ask for the slides three months in advance. I understand some of them compile them together on Cs, but sometimes something's irrelevant by the time a talk is given. But that aside, I've found more often than not with preparing my own talks and preparing when I was a mentor for besides Las Vegas' Proving Ground last year, once you actually start rehearsing, sometimes you realize that the flow you thought your talk was going to have needs to completely be reworked, and you're you've got to make it into the most compelling storyline. And sometimes it requires shifting entire sections around.
0: Absolutely, or you know, some some huge research could come out between the time you actually uh, submit and the time that you uh, that you present.
1: Yeah, as long as you're presenting the talk that you you know. the essence of the same talk that you submitted, I don't think the con's going to feel like taken aback that your premise might have changed based on new security research that came out. It's not like you you submit, I don't know, you submit a talk about the Internet of Things and then surprise, give a talk about animated GIFs. Right. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Understanding that everything within information security is very fluid would you recommend being more safe about something that's not likely to change or something that something that may be cutting edge?
1: I think it's up to the individual and what their area of interest is and what their area of fashion and expertise is. Um, but if it is something more cutting edge, I think it's on them to stay up to date. And even if they're not up to date on some things, pretty much in every talk I've given, somebody from the audience has said, hey, did you know about so and so, and sometimes I won't, but then I get to learn something new. And it's always okay absolutely. if you don't know everything to say, I don't know that, tell me more. Um, it's better than being on stage and bullshitting.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, that goes back to a philosophy that I like to, to uh, maintain. And uh, that is uh, the founder of the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu sport, Helio Gracie. One of his quotes that I, I really like is, You either win you learn Mm -hmm. that's true and absolutely do you think some cons are more geared to have those cutting-edge talks as opposed to some of the others
1: yeah i definitely get that vibe from defcon defcon loves to see new research I think some other con- some other cons will have a specific theme, like infiltrate is all offense, and at least security is all defense.
0: And uh, John Strand's upcoming Wild West Hackenfest, uh, they're specifically asking mm-hmm. for
1: yeah
0: uh, research that has not been presented elsewhere yet. And
1: some cons will specifically make preference for new new work.
0: Oh, absolutely, and you know that those are great for that reason, but at the same time, you know you're taking a big risk with some of them as well so like for example you know circle city con the first round of submissions you know that ends on january 20th but the con is not until june would you recommend submitting cutting-edge research for that something that's somewhat volatile and subject to significant change uh, or even possible uh the possibility of being debunked in the time frame
1: i don't know if if people feel they've got cutting-edge research, to admit I'm not going to stop them from, from doing it at Circle City Con or anywhere. We'd love to have it. And if it's something that is going to be debunked, I don't know, maybe that's still worth talking about. Maybe maybe that's that's a presentation right there. Here's what we thought, here's what we believed to be true. Here's how it was wrong.
0: And then you could sing the Weird Al song of everything, everything you know everything is wrong. Is
1: wrong. <laughs>
0: wow. Another Weird Al fan. I saw him a lifetime.
1: concert this year and last year. <laughs>
0: wow. So uh, with that being said, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll finish the discussion. Stay tuned. Are you subscribed to this podcast? If not, please do so on iTunes and at security.net slash podcast. Attention listeners, have you ever been interested in recording a podcast of your own? Whether it be information security, technology, cooking, or even flags, look no further. Zencaster is here. Zencaster is a cloud-based online solution that provides each guest with a separate track, WAV files, built-in voiceover IP, cloud drive integration, automatic post-production, and a soundboard for live editing. If you are interested, go to zencaster.com. Z e n c a s tr.com and enter coupon code APS Podcast twenty for a twenty percent discount. Once again, that is ZenCaster z e n c a s t r.com. I hope to listen to you soon. And we're back. So with me this evening is Cat Sweet. We've been talking about how to submit that perfect CFP, if there ever was one. We were giving. uh, We were talking about. Uh, things to do things not to do and then some general just best practices so with that being said we're going to finalize the discussion about the actual submission talk about a little bit of the stuff behind the scenes and then actually giving the talk so with regards to finalizing the submission obviously you want to spell the conference name correctly right (laughs) uh we all saw it on twitter i don't need to say it again but make sure you spell the conference name correctly Um, aside from that, what advice do you have?
1: If you, in the event that you didn't spell the conference name correctly or anything else, it really helps to have a few sets of eyes, look at your submission before you send it. We all make stupid copy. I've gotten paid to write things and edit things. And I still make stupid copy editing mistakes. When you're seeing your own work over and over again, you get blind to these things. So have a friend, look it over, make sure it looks okay. Copy editing wise and also content wise, um, it can sometimes help to have somebody who's not familiar with the subject matter read it through and make sure they can actually understand it, even if they might not know the te- deep technical details, if they can generally get an idea of what you're talking about. Because if it's not clear, it's probably not going to be as clear to reviewers.
0: Absolutely. Um, so with with doing your submission, it is time on your side when you do it really early Is time on your side when you submit, like, middle of the game or at the very end?
1: It totally depends on the conference. Some do rolling approvals and rejections, and some do them in a few rounds. Like, for Circle City Con, we have two rounds. Um, Round one ends January 20th, then round two. Then we notify everybody, and then round two ends March 3rd. So that gives people a chance to submit in the first round, and then if they don't get accepted, they can rework and resubmit in the second round. So... In that case, good to apply early. Some cons, like Shmoo, will do a holdover where they'll give some early acceptances, but not very many usually, and most will be held over until the final round. And some just do them rolling until they've got enough acceptances filled up. So read the guidelines of the specific con.
0: And with that being said, you know for the ones that do multiple rounds like Circle City Con, when should you ask for feedback or should you even ask for feedback?
1: Uh, from reviewers? Yes. Um, some cons will give it automatically. Um, some uh, Circle City Con is one that does give feedback um, from reviewers and you'll get that. I think it's always good to ask for feedback. Even when you do get accepted, there is still ways to improve and ways to reinforce what you're doing right. Um, the worst a con can say is we don't give out feedback or... We don't have the capacity to do that, but it doesn't hurt to ask for it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, specifically, you know, say for example, someone submits uh, first round Circle City Con and they they are notified uh, by February 3rd that, hey, you weren't picked up. So at that point.
1: Yep, so now you ha- they'll get the feedback with the rejection. They'll get the feedback with the acceptance and then they'll have a month to rework.
0: Okay so perfect so you know for any listeners that are looking to do any submissions the first rejection if they're doing multiple rounds is not necessarily to say that you're not getting in it's just saying you might need to make some changes and you know what about one of the things i see on uh part of the review process for circle CityCon is the novelty of the talk uh would you say that that's something that uh is focused around being kind of obscure in your topic, or is it just, you know, having a, a unique approach to something?
1: Yeah, it's kind of, I guess that's, we phrase that kind of nebulously, but um, I think definitely, yeah, a unique approach to something if it's a familiar topic. Because um, some years there will be some really hot topics that will get, we'll get many similar submissions. Like, I don't know, maybe last year might have been Internet of Things, or two years ago, Threat Intel, or OSINT or if we're going to get similar topics um, I don't know how well yours stands out uniqueness of the topic itself Circle City Con is one that tends to draw a lot that are um, from all over the place things that are of interest to the security community but might like I said might not be core cutting-edge vuln disclosures or cutting-edge new tools or anything although we do get some but, like, we had some that, like, Jack Daniel gave a home bartending class as one of the trainings at Circle City Con a few years ago, which is awesome. Booze hacking. <laughs> and, like, I, I spoke about amateur radio two years ago at Circle City Con as it related to security.
0: But Awesome. And, you know, I I poke fun at the IT uh, buzzword BS bingo game. <laughs> should, should someone attempt to play bingo with their submission or are they would, playing bingo with their submission without regards to how good or bad the talk and the submission is? Um, is playing bingo to their advantage or against their advantage?
1: If they're doing it in an ironic way and it's really funny, I think I would laugh reading that submission.
0: <laughs> Something like just the me. S in IoT is for security.
1: Yeah, that'd be funny. Uh, Yeah,
0: too bad I've already heard it or I would use it.
1: There are some venues that would like that, though. Like if it's a more like security business or vendor focused type of venue, maybe that's maybe you have to cyber it up a little bit.
0: The advanced persistent or I'm sorry, the advanced persistent or uh, what is it? The next generation advanced persistent threat APT protection
1: in the cloud. With big data, yes. actionable big data.
0: Oh, absolutely, and, and you know, a, a really solid threat intelligence feed um, that is uh, gleaned. Ah, um, uh, I had it, but <laughs> oh, from the dark web, using using dark web insiders and hacker forums.
1: There we go. <laughs> there you go. I think,
0: I think that hits pretty much everything. I think that's gold. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> own all the things but you know so basically what you're saying is if you actually have some substance to the talk do it but if you're just saying threat intelligence for the purpose of saying threat intelligence so you can have a shiny buzzword most cons are not the place for that there are people can smell bullshit it's exactly what i was getting at so tell us a little bit more about what happens behind the scenes um and again it's very
1: con specific um, different cons have totally different approaches to the CFP review process based on um, what they what the goals of their con are. And if if you ever don't know if they don't really say it's it's always fair to ask if you're curious if it influences where you might submit. The worst they can say is we're not going to tell you, but but I've seen a lot more getting more transparent. Um, Like Circle City Con uses a blind review. So we have a team of reviewers who will not see the speaker name and will judge based on the abstract and outline. Um, A few other cons, uh, quite a few, actually, I think do this now. Some cons will um, look for specific categories of talks, especially if they're, tracks have specific themes like if they have an offense track and a defense track and so they'll judge based on that some have really specifically curated maybe themes that they're going for so they'll want specific speakers not necessarily because they're playing favorites with their buddies that they want to do a favor but because like i don't know here's the expert on this topic, we want to get her, here's the expert on this topic, we want to have him speak. Um, so yeah, really different approaches. Um, however, in very few cases, even for small cons, will your talk? it's not going to come down to one person's decision, for the most part. There's going to be at least a few people looking at your talk and scoring it. So it's that helps protect you against what one person might be feeling at any given time. Um, So there's usually a review team and sometimes they'll give you feedback, sometimes they'll comment amongst each other, and sometimes they won't be able to see each other's comments. All these are decisions about how much you want what you want the influences to be for making your decision. And so they'll look at those and like I said, you have to make it like a resume, just like just like employers won't spend more than a few minutes per resume because they get so many. Review boards will get so many talk submissions that they won't be able to spend that much time on it. So you have to make yours pop and you've got to make it readable and draw their attention, make it stick in their mind. And they'll score accordingly. Sometimes... Some systems that I've seen, the scores will be weighted based on how knowledgeable they consider themselves to be about the topics. I know OpenConf, I think, had a way to do that on their platform. And then once they've scored all of those, sometimes it goes for for final approval or or rejection to um, to the chairs or conference staff just for to make final calls.
0: So you're saying that just because you have a strong name, 25,000 Twitter followers, and uh you've written a book that's not going to guarantee that you get into a talk
1: if it's a blind review no however if you got twenty-five thousand twitter followers and you're you've written a book you might be asked to keynote somewhere and it's not like people get people usually get asked to be keynote they don't submit along with the regulars and um the thing about if you've written a book, you probably know how to write somewhat if you didn't have a ghostwriter, And so the more, a lot of the more seasoned speakers have been through this process so many times that they know how to do it. And so they can craft a talk. That's something to bear in mind too, that if somebody that if bigger name speakers getting picked, it might not be for favoritism, but they can probably write a passable talk by the having spoken so much.
0: Absolutely. And you know, <laughs> i i understand both sides of the coin of the whole name aspect of it Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day you're going to want to draw people and there are certain names that if you have you're going to draw people either because they're a train wreck or they put on that that great of a talk you know just being real for a moment so Mm -hmm. you know i i understand the value of both sides you know me being a person with 500 Twitter followers, uh, and not really an easily recognizable name in industry. Obviously, right now, I favor the blind review. But, you know, uh, I I just wanted to kind of look at that from both sides.
1: Yeah, and in practice, what happens is there's usually a good mix of uh, new speakers or sort sort of rookie speakers and seasoned speakers. And so it's sort of self selecting too.
0: Absolutely. And on the topic of uh rookie speakers uh versus uh seasoned speakers, um, where would you recommend someone go to get some speaking experience uh outside of the con itself?
1: There's a lot of local InfoSec meetups and things like OASP chapters and twenty six hundred meetups and some of them are purely social, but some of them will have like lightning talks and A lot of people will either rehearse a potential con talk there or give a shorter version of it. Um, In the non-infosec world, um, Toastmaster is an organization to help people get better at public speaking. Um, You can also give things a try at non-infosec cons, like I've been on panels at sci-fi cons, and I know that um, Leslie Carhart and Johnny Christmas really give their their bad hack movie hacking panel every year at gen con and have fun with that um so it doesn't just have to be at infosec cons um there are some um that have either a new speaker track some infosec cons or um or even specific mentoring Mm -hmm. help um the most prominent of those being um, besides las vegas proving ground where they pair speakers who've never spoken at a conference or only a small regional one with um, a presentation mentor to help them build their talk for the few months leading up to the con. So that's, I highly recommend that. I went through it in 2013 as a speaker and last year I got to go back and go through it as a mentor.
0: Okay, so now we've kind of made it through the point of you've got the idea, you've got the abstract, you've got your outline, you've done the submission, you understand how the review is going to work, you've selected a con. You,
1: you either get accepted or rejected. Down,
0: you got turned down the first time. You submitted in the second round and got picked up. What's next?
1: So now you actually have to to go through the work of making that talk a reality. Aside from the things that I just mentioned for rehearsing it and making your slides, which go off of your outline, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm not great at aesthetics, and so sometimes my slides are ugly and filled with memes. <laughs> um, but more, I, more important, slides are important, but more importantly is that you need to rehearse over and over. Figure out what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Um, practice it for your cat, practice it for friends. Um, <laughs> when I was working on my amateur radio talk a couple of years ago, a friend of mine um, actually, he's one of the Proving Ground directors now, Guy McDude fella. he, um, and I'm saying um more as I'm telling this story, he would sit there with a Nerf gun while I presented and would Nerf me every time I said um or sped up or got really nervous. <laughs> so if you respond well to that kind of weird reinforcement, go for that. Or just... <laughs> Practice, practice, practice. It's going to be really awkward and you're going to be nervous, probably. You're going to be nervous doing it for yourself and for other people. But like I said, it can help you sort of hear things in your storyline that maybe you couldn't have seen when you were first working on the outline, and you can make changes accordingly. It's also good from a technical standpoint to prepare because you need to know exactly how your display settings are going to need to be and how your demos are going to work if you have them.
0: Make sure you uh, sacrifice to the demo gods.
1: Exactly. Pour a little out for the Prophet Elijah. The the key point here is disaster preparedness. And then if a disaster does happen, you have a business continuity plan, I guess. Absolutely. You need to have have backups of your slides that aren't stored locally. You need to have recordings of your demos if you have them.
0: Or or something you you can... do alternatively that doesn't require the internet.
1: Yep, and you need to be memorized enough to be able to go off script if everything. If your computer catches fire, <laughs> this happened to me during Sky Talks. My um, video port decided to die, and so while my um, my then boyfriend got my slides set up on his machine, I had to just ad lib for a little while. So I was really thankful that I had rehearsed a lot.
0: Excellent. And would you recommend people to actually record their rehearsal and have a few trusted confidants uh, take a look at it and provide honest feedback?
1: Yeah, either record it or have them do it live or both. Um, honest, constructive feedback is really helpful. Um, great job is nice, but great job and here's how you can improve is much better. you got to give constructive feedback.
0: Absolutely. I cannot agree more there. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love being told great job as much as the next guy, but with that being said, I also uh, like honest feedback to the point of, you know, it was a really good talk, uh, here, here are my uh, pieces of criticism, I really didn't understand where you were going with this, I didn't understand that, you kind of got down this rabbit hole, but you did do this exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And and that's the kind of feedback that, you know, I, I find to be most valuable, personally.
1: Me too.
0: So, um, okay, do you have uh, anything else with this?
1: Well, we did talk about what happens if you get rejected, because that happens a lot. Yep. So, I just want to reassure people, because not everyone's going to get accepted on the first try, or on multiple tries. I think I'm at so try number rejection. seven. <laughs> yep. And rejection from shmoo, everyone was saying this last week, it's just like a a rite of passage. I got my second annual shmoo rejection. (laughs) Um, I know it's it's really easy to feel down on yourself and like, oh, they hate me. And a lot of it just comes from doing it over and over again. You get some exposure therapy and you start to, the pain of rejection starts to dull, if you will. Um, But don't assume the worst in it a rejection it's not a rejection it's information it apply it it gives you information for how to improve or change your approach and so use the feedback from reviewers to rework your submission maybe if they feel like it's not the proper venue look around for where it might be or even ask where you think it should be submitted infosec cons aren't all the same like i said some cons are looking for specific types of content or sometimes even specific people so look at those con schedules to see what where yours might fit in um because the right venue exists so don't lose hope I uh, rub some dirt in it get back up <laughs> it's easier said than done but i i i when I asked that question on Twitter, what's stopping you from submitting, some people sounded so defeated before they'd even started and I I, I don't want them to feel defeated if they get rejected on the first try because we all get rejected. No no seasoned speaker, probably, but no, almost no seasoned speaker gets accepted 100% of the time.
0: No, but the one that never submits gets rejected 100% of the time.
1: They reject themselves.
0: Absolutely. So
1: So, what is my motivational speaker bit?
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we've kind of hit the full life cycle of the talk. Um, Next, let's kind of discuss when you should update your talk. And then at that point, uh, you can provide any advice you have to aspiring uh, speakers. So when is a good time to update your talk?
1: If you've given it before, it should probably change at least a little bit before you give it again, um, especially if it's something that is with really cutting edge research. That definitely helps. Um, if it's a new release, then then the next iteration of the talk, I don't know. We expect some kind of update. Um, I feel a little hypocritical saying that because I've there's a ta- uh, the amateur radio talk I've given. Three recorded versions of it, and that there's some content that has been consistent throughout all three of them. But I mean, if it's bed recorded, it should probably be a little bit different. Okay. Uh, some people are like never give the same talk twice. And there's some talks that I think can be given can be given twice if they're still if they're still you still feel they are relevant. Um, you're speaking to a different audience. And if it, especially if it wasn't recorded, only the people in the room are gonna have heard it.
0: Right, and even with you know, I'll use three conferences that are coming up as an example, uh, and and they're all relatively within the same time frame. Basically, they're within a sixty-day period. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got Circle City in Indianapolis, infiltrate in Miami, and InfoSec Southwest in Austin, Texas. Honestly, with those three. Uh, would you see a need to really make significant, drastic changes to those talks? Uh, should all three get accepted? Obviously, they should have their own, you know, their own flavor and and unique spin. But mm-hmm. I'm yeah, talking drastic other- overhaul. I
1: don't know about drastic, but I think you you touched on something important with the own unique spin because the cons do have a really different vibe. Um, like infiltrate their 100% offense and they're like, you, you can talk about how you broke stuff. No apologies. Yeah, rock on. Uh, which is very different than circle city con, just sort of more general infosec um, and smaller and regional and isn't 100% offense. In fact, has always had a lot of defense talks and other security community talks. So I think there's definitely a way to change the tone without massively overhauling the content because you want to play to your audience. Okay. Just as if you were, if you were doing like a talk that was at both Black Hat and Def Con, Black Hat is, there's some overlap in attendees, but the feel of the two is very different.
0: Right. Black Hat being a little bit more salesy, Def Con being a little bit more OG, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that being said, do you have any speakers and submitters?
1: Keep trying. If, Like I said, you got to keep getting back up if you get rejected. Don't be afraid to ask other people for help Um, and ask for a lot of different perspectives. I'm just one person who's been a a writer and a reviewer and co-chair and speaker, Um, but get a lot of different perspectives, get feedback from peers. Um, People generally want to help and generally want to draw in new speakers rather than keeping people out. So if you have something to say, which you probably do, even if you don't know it yet, figure that out and submit. Circle City Con CFP closes January twentieth.
0: Hey, don't worry, shameless and that's not plug. your only opportunity for a shameless plug. <laughs>
1: even if you don't submit, if you don't submit to us, you can submit elsewhere.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, uh, with that being said, we're going to take our final break, and when we come back, we're going to say goodbye, and Kat's going to tell us all about uh, how to and where to submit to the Circle City Con CFP, how to contact her, how to contact uh, Circle City Con, and uh, just some details about the conference itself uh, and anything else she feels relevant. So stay tuned.
1: Don't forget to check out our blog at advancedpersistentsecuritynet slash blog. Follow us on Twitter at ADVpersistentSEC and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com Persistent security.
0: Attention security professionals. Have you been looking for a community of only security experts? Look no further. PeerList is here. PeerList helps you stay on top of the news by creating personalized feeds where you get posts from your community and blogs from top industry bloggers all customized to your specific interests. No more email lists to discuss a topic with other experts. You can invite specific people to any discussion as well as contribute to any discussion on PeerList. Build your reputation by creating a profile and contributing content that will help others see your expertise. The better your content is, the higher you rank. PeerList never gives your information to any vendor. You are not a lead. You are a professional. Check out PeerList today at PeerList.com P-E-E-R-L-Y-S-T dot com And we're back from our final break. Uh, You are here with the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. With us this evening is Cat Sweet, and we've been talking about everything CFPs. We talked a little bit about fishing in Los Angeles County. Uh, we rode in the time machine uh, to talk about some LinkedIn and Yahoo breaches, and then uh, Cat walked us through everything from the idea of submitting to a conference all the way through getting your talk together, getting rejected, taking that feedback, submitting again how the review works, giving the talk, and then just some general banter. So, with that being said, all great things must come to an end, and that time is now with the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. So, at this time, Cap, um, I'm gonna turn the floor over to you, shamelessly plug Circle City Con. Anything else you want to plug, if you wanna be contacted, uh, which you are on Twitter, so I assume you're going to say yes, um, <clears throat> Tell everyone how to contact you. Uh, give us all the details on Circle City Con in terms of pricing, location, date, uh, and everything. And at this point, the floor is yours.
1: Okay, I basically live on Twitter. My handle is the Sweet Cat. That's Cat with a K. So Circle City Con is in Indianapolis. It's June 9th through eleventh, twenty seventeen, at the Sheraton Indianapolis. Tickets. Are, um, I believe, $175. Um, speakers get free admission and a plus one, so more incentives for you to submit your talk. Um, you can go to CircleCityCon.com, and um, the CFP link is right there. Um, There's also a call for training. Um, and yeah, it's a lovely con. It's smaller, more regional. It's, last year's attendance was around 500 or so, probably be bigger this year, but it's got that nice, really small familial feel, and there's a lot of training that's built into the cost, so you really get a lot of bang for your buck, and you're not lost in a crowd. Um, there's always a good, a good CTF and good going games going on. Um, this year the theme is summer camp move over vegas i guess <laughs> and we really hope to see you there and if you have any more questions about that you can reach out they're they're on twitter as well at circle city con i'm not the the fingers behind the keyboard on that one but they can definitely take your questions on that and i'm happy to answer questions about the cfp process as well because i love talking about it as you might have noticed so yeah i don't know if you had other stuff Joe, but thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This is a real pleasure.
0: Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, sit down and talk to us about this and record this. Uh, I I think the community is in uh, better shape now. And I think uh, a lot of con organizers are going to see a lot better quality uh, submissions come through because of this. Um, And, you know, the pleasure is always ours. Uh, You're welcome back at any time. Um, And as we close everything out here, uh, you know you can contact Advanced Persistent Security the podcast at podcast at oh, how did that work out podcast at net. Advanced Persistent Security is on Twitter at ADV Persist Sec uh, it's on all of the podcasting platforms and then some. So whatever medium you use to listen to and consume this, please give us a favorable rating, uh, five stars if they have it. Uh, like us, love us, whatever. Uh, you can find me, Joe, on Twitter at C underscore 3P Joe. And uh, honestly, uh, this has been a great episode. And until next time, stay secure. Thank you for listening to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. Until next time, stay secure and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.